please remain standing for the reading of God's word. This is from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak against evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He is he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Mace. I serve here at Neartown Church as a church planting resident, meaning uh, my family and I moved to the city recently um, to begin building relationships with our neighbors in the community and uh, to spend time here at Neartown Church being equipped to ultimately start a new gospel preaching, Christ-exalting church in our community that's gonna reach the lost and help equip believers to grow in their faith and live on mission with God in the city. And so part of this experience is me getting opportunities like this to, to preach God's word to you all. So I just wanna publicly thank Russell for my second time ever preaching here at Neartown Church for giving me a nice, lighthearted, encouraging passage. <laughs> So like I said, uh, my family and I, we moved to the city just a few months ago. We moved to the Heights and when we were looking for houses, one of the things that struck us about this particular house um, was how peaceful and quiet it was. It's right in the middle of the hustle and the bustle of the, the city. But I remember stepping out on the, the back patio for the first time, being amazed at how quiet it was, even just being a couple blocks off of the 610 loop. And one of the reasons why that is, is as, as you look around our backyard, pretty much all that you see is green. It's like this nice little oasis among the, the concrete desert of the city. Um, well, come to find out, part of that greenery um, is caused by the alley that's behind our house that has been overgrown with all manner of things, vines and bamboo and all this sort of stuff. And like an invading army, they're constantly trying to make their way into our backyard. They're trying to squeeze their way through the, the planks of our fence. They're trying to climb over the fence. And uh, my favorite is how they drop these little bombs of dead leaves all over the place. And while 
I want to give credit where credit is due. J- Jennifer, my wife, has been doing an amazing job going out there, picking up leaves, trimming back branches and vines. And she even bought this like super cool leaf vacuum thing that we're excited to, to use for the first time. If that's all we ever did, it wouldn't actually fix the problem. It might kind of mask it for a little bit, but those vines and that bamboo is going to keep trying to find its way into our yard, right? That if we truly want to deal with the problem, we have to expose the root and we have to rip it out at the root. Now, all of us have a weed that threatens to invade and infest our lives from time to time called conflict. Perhaps that argument that you got into with your spouse, maybe even on the way to church today. Or that, that tension with your ex- extended family that's so thick you can cut it with a knife. Or that coworker or your neighbor that you can't even put your thumb on it, but they just get under your skin. And what's worse is that conflict even makes its way into the church. So I didn't really grow up in church, so I thought, you know, the idea of churches splitting over the color of the carpet was just a joke until I actually met people whose home churches they grew up in split literally over the color of the carpet. So conflict has a way of even finding its way into the church, and we can deal with it at a surface level, right? We can just sweep it under the rug, pretend like it doesn't exist. We can just give that person the silent treatment. You know, if they're walking into church through that door, I'm going to go through that door. Or we can just leave this church and go to the church down the road. But that's not really getting at the root of the problem. So what is the root of so many of our conflicts And how do we rip it out? That's what James is going to show us in the passage for this morning. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. If you're new to the Bible or new to to Neartown, we have been going through uh, the book of James in this series that we're calling Live It. And James is a short little letter found near the end of the New Testament, actually written by the half-brother of Jesus named James. One of the interesting things about James is that while Jesus was alive on this earth, James was a skeptic. He mocked and and ridiculed Jesus. But something changed. James saw his half-brother risen from the dead. And James went from a skeptic to a leader in the early church. And in this letter, James is writing to these Jewish believers, telling them how to to fix what they believe about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how that can transform their daily lives. And as we look at this letter, we'll see how it can transform our lives as well. And specifically this morning, we're going to see how we can expose the root of our conflicts, how we can rip it out so that we can see something more beautiful and life-giving grow and blossom in its place. So James chapter four, verses one through three says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. 
You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And so James is calling out these conflicts among these Jewish believers. He's saying they're fighting, they're quarreling. Even he goes so far as to say that they're murdering one another. That could quite literally mean that they were, you know, inciting physical violence. What I think is more likely here that that James is alluding to the teachings of his half-brother Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, Jesus said, yeah, you've heard the commandment, you shall not murder. And the Pharisees thought that they were doing good, that I haven't killed anyone, I'm good. But Jesus takes it deeper. He goes to the root. He says, if you are even harboring anger in your heart towards your brother, you're murdering your brother and your sister in your hearts. You're murdering them in your hearts. And that's what James is calling out here. And he tells them the reason why this is happening is because the, the root of the conflict is that you are self-reliant, self-righteous, and selfish. He says they are, are self-reliant, that they don't think that they need God. So they see things that they want and they don't ask God for it. They don't even talk to their heavenly father about the desires in their hearts. They don't have because they do not ask. You know who else is guilty of this? Me. Even though I, could, I can say all the right things about what the Bible says and about how needy I am of God, my default mode in life is to hustle and grind and bust my butt as if it all depends on me. And it's only after I come to the end of myself when I'm exhausted and frustrated that I finally think, huh, maybe I should talk to God about this. So he says, you're self-reliant. Beyond that, you're self-righteous. You see, the, the believers that James is writing to have the same theology of the Pharisees, that they think that they are righteous by law keeping. And because they are so good at keeping the law, at least in their own minds, that God owes them, that they deserve health and wealth and prosperity. And so when they don't get it and when they see other people having it, they get angry. They go so far as to murder in their heart their brothers and their sisters. This is nothing new. It's been happening since the beginning. In Genesis chapter 4, the very first brothers, Cain and Abel, they both offer an offering to God, but only Abel's is accepted by God. Because only Abel's offering is offered in faith. And then Cain, rather than using that as an opportunity for self-reflection, he pins all blame on his, his brother. And he's angry towards his brother. And he goes so far as to literally murder his brother. And we see that dynamic all through scripture. We see that dynamic in our lives. Yeah, we may not have literally killed someone. But according to Jesus, if we are even harboring anger in our heart towards our brother, we're murdering them. They're self-reliant, they're self-righteous, and they're selfish. That even when they do ask, they're not asking for the right reasons. They're asking merely for selfish motives. Like the prodigal son who went to his father asking for his inheritance just so he could squander it all in wild living. Or the rich fool that Jesus talked about who when 
in his abundance rather than, than thinking about who he could bless and, and, and give to with his abundance. He just kept building bigger and bigger barns so he could hoard it all to himself. They're self-reliant, they're self-righteous, and they're selfish. And that's what's leading to conflicts. As I was thinking on this text and reflecting on it, I was reminded of a, a season in my life when this is exactly what was going on. It was a, a previous job of mine, and again, I was, I was hustling, I was grinding, I was busting my butt, and there were certain opportunities and uh, accolades that I thought I was entitled to, but I wasn't getting them. And like salt in the wound, not only was I not getting them, but there were other coworkers of mine who I thought were less deserving who were. And every time they were getting the opportunity or the accolades that I thought I deserved, rather than being happy for them, rather than using as an opportunity to reflect on my own self, I harbored bitterness and resentment and anger towards them. And I tried my best to, to put on a good face in public and say all the, the right things. But in my heart, I was murdering my brother. Thanks be to God. God showed that to me. He exposed that sin in my heart. He convicted me. And that's the first step. That if we want to rip up sin by the root, if we want to get at the root of our conflicts, the first step is we have to realize that it's there. We have to realize our sin. But then what do we do with it? That's where James goes next. James chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealousy jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So if we want to rip out our sin by the root, if we want to get at the root of our conflict, con conflicts, we have to come to God in humble repentance. We have to confess our sins before God. We have to, to weep and mourn over our sins not so we can wallow over our shame, but because when we do, we're shown grace. That God, like a husband is jealous for his wife, is jealous for us. That God's grace is greater than our sin. That no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how self-reliant you've been, no matter how much you've lived your life as if you didn't need God, no matter how self-righteous you've been, no matter how much you thought you had to earn your right standing before God and you've looked down on others who didn't meet your standards, no matter how selfish you've been living your life as if you are the center of the universe, God shows more grace. All we have to do is come humbly 
and ask for it. And our Father delights to give us good gifts because Christ was righteous for us. Because Christ died on the cross for our sin. He died on the cross for our self-reliance. He died on the cross for our self-righteousness. He died on the cross for our selfishness. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day as a preview and a promise of the future resurrection to eternal life when God exalts us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. God is ready to give grace. But we have to realize our need of grace and humbly admit that before him. When we realize our need for grace, we get to receive grace. And when we rip out the root of sin underneath our conflicts, grace begins to blossom. Because we know that as we have received grace, we should give grace to others. And that's what the believers James is writing to, we're failing to do. And he calls us out in our last two verses for this morning, James chapter four, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? See, because they were self-reliant, self-righteous, and selfish, they didn't think they needed grace. Because they didn't think they needed grace, they weren't giving grace. Now, there absolutely is a time for confronting our brothers and sisters in Christ about the sin that we see in our life, and their life, but that should be done in love with the goal of restoring them, of, of offering something better for them. But that's not what this is going on here. What James is saying is that the sinner that we should be concerned about the most is the one we see in the mirror that we need to realize our need of grace. And when we do that, how can we not give grace to others? That when we realize that we have freely received God's grace, we freely give grace to others. Like Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis is an African-American blues musician who loves Jesus. And one night several years ago, he got done playing and this white man comes up to him and uh, they start a conversation. They, they start having it, you know, sitting down at the bar next to one another, talking about the history of blues music and all this sort of stuff. And several minutes into the conversation, the white man turns to Daryl and he goes, you know, I've never just sat down and had a conversation and a drink with a, a black man before. So Daryl asked him why that is. The white man was kind of quiet for a moment and Eventually, his, his buddy that was with him starts elbowing him, says, tell him, tell him. So the white man looks at Daryl and he says, I'm a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Talk about conflict, right? The Ku Klux Klan is like the pivotal image of racial and ethnic conflict in our nation's history. What did Daryl do? He would have had every right 
to spit at him, slap him, walk away, curse him out. But he didn't. Daryl knew that he had received God's grace. So he decided to extend God's grace. And that night inspired Daryl to go on a journey to start traveling the country, sitting down and having conversations with Klansmen all across America. And he saw that over conversation, commonalities were discovered. And through these commonalities, friendships were formed. And through friendship, hearts were transformed. And since Daryl has begun this journey, over 200 Klansmen have given up their robes. All because someone who had received God's grace was willing to extend it. So, as we get ready to move into a time of reflection and response, here's my call to each of us this morning. I want us all to think about a a recent or a current conflict that you have found yourself in. Conflict with a spouse, a sibling, a neighbor, a coworker. And you may have very real grievances. You may absolutely have been wronged. But first, I want us all to look inward. I want you to reflect Look at your own heart, examine your own heart, and see where perhaps your own self-reliance, your own self-righteousness, your own selfishness and sin may be at least in part to blame for that conflict. And here's the good news. As you begin to see the root, as you begin to feel convicted by it, you don't have to wallow in guilt and shame. We can bring it before God. We can humble ourselves. We can repent. We confess it to God, knowing that he gives greater grace. Not just grace for forgiveness, but grace for freedom. Grace to live a life fully devoted to God. Grace to extend the forgiveness that we have received. Grace to give the grace that we have freely received. And then as you realize that, Your action step, my call to action to us all this morning is to do like Daryl Davis. Have a conversation. Maybe you realize you've never even really taken the time to get to know that neighbor or that coworker. And your next step simply needs to be to invite them to lunch or coffee just to get to know their story. Because what we will often find is that beneath those behaviors that get under our skin and that cause those conflicts is a story. And it doesn't excuse their actions, but it at least helps us be able to have empathy and compassion and grace towards that person. Or maybe the conflict that you are in is 99% that other person's fault. But you know what you can do? you can own the 1% that you are responsible for. So maybe that looks like sitting down with that person, not to, to unveil the laundry list of their sins, but to confess yours to them and say, hey, I have to admit, I've felt convicted about this and I'm simply here 
to apologize and ask for your forgiveness. We have been given grace greater than our sins. So let's freely give grace. And like Daryl Davis, let's change the world one conversation, one life at a time. Let's pray. Father, you are abundantly gracious and merciful beyond what we could even imagine that no matter what sin has stained our past or even our present, you give greater grace that you sent your son to be righteousness for us. You sent your son to die on the cross for our sin and that because of the resurrection, we can have hope, hope of forgiveness now and freedom today and forevermore. That as we humble ourselves, you will exalt us. So we're asking for you, Lord, to not let us settle for focusing on the symptom, but to get at the real problem. That you would help us examine our hearts, see the root underneath all of our conflicts, and before we dare to address the other person's sins or faults, that we would look in the mirror and that we would admit where we have been self-reliant, where we have lived life as if we don't need you, where we have been self-righteous thinking that we can be righteous through our own doing good and law-keeping and of our own selfishness, where we have lived as if we are the most important thing in the universe. And that we thank you that because of what you have done through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we don't have to wallow in guilt and shame. We can come humbly before you. So give us the courage to come before you, to lay it all down at your feet, ask for your forgiveness, knowing that you do give greater grace. And as we receive grace, Lord, transform us into grace givers. Help us follow the example of people like Daryl Davis are willing to show grace as we have received grace. Help us have grace-filled conversations so that we can join you in what you are doing in transforming our world one conversation, one life at a time. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.